Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Did Jesus spend the night in hell? That is the question that we'll answer on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith, spokesperson for the CSB. Uh, here with my co-host, as always, Trevin Wax, the Bible and Reference Publisher at BNH. And uh, we are joined today by Dr. Matthew Emerson, the Dickinson Chair of Religion and Assistant Professor of Religion at Oklahoma Baptist University, uh, along with teaching and leading at OBU. Um, he's also one of the executive directors of the Center for Baptist Renewal that I may or may not have a vested interest in bringing up on this podcast. And uh, the author of the forthcoming book from IVP Academic, He Descended to the Dead, An Evangelical Approach to Holy Saturday. So Matt, thanks for hopping on with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So Matt, you've got a book coming out that is timely, considering the question that we're going to be talking about today. Um, the The passage that we're looking at is from 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, Um, I'm going to read the passage in the CSB. We're going to discuss a few different views on this question. And then, uh, Matt, we're going to have you uh, help us work through the text a bit. So uh, let me read this this in CSB, uh, 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Um, so the, 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 Two things actually trip people up in this passage. Uh, one of them is the baptism that saves you. Brandon, we need to come back and do another, yeah. uh, another episode <laughs> on this. Uh, the, the, the main one, though, is uh, verse 19. He also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. Uh, did he visit hell on that Saturday between the cross and the resurrection? Who are the spirits? What was he proclaiming? Does this somehow relate to the Apostles' Creed statement, he descended to the dead? Uh, uh, and, and then there are, there are some passages that might sh- shed some light on this. You've got Acts 2.31 uh, that says he was not abandoned to Hades. Uh, you have Ephesians 4.9 that says he descended to the lower parts of the earth. Uh, Matthew 12.40 where Jesus compares him, himself being in the grave to Jonah being in the belly of a whale. So a lot of questions here. That's why we have a few interpretations. Yeah, so, we've got four interpretations, but there's probably 44 if we really wanted to, to flush them all out. But uh, we're going to look at four kind of major ones and uh, see what we can do here. So view number one uh, is that Jesus literally went to the place of the dead, uh, which could mean hell. It could mean something else depending on the interpreter. But between his death and his resurrection, uh, he went to the place of the dead to announce his victory to all the dead, as well as to the spirits in prison that he mentions here. Uh, so proponents of this view will take kind of a, you know, quote unquote, plain reading of the passage, uh, noting that the spirits in prison can only mean one thing, right, when compared to uh, other phrases in the New Testament, that they're evil spirits or they're fallen angels, something like that, demons. Uh, particularly, these spirits are those who were part of the rampant wickedness that led to the flooding of the earth. So, you know, we did a podcast a while back, Trevin, on the Nephilim, 
right? And yes, this, we this was a passage that, that one. Yeah. yeah. And so this passage kind of worked its way in there a little bit um, because some people will say that these spirits may have been these demons who procreated with women who created the uh, giant Nephilim back in Genesis 6. So, uh, but regardless of who he's preaching to, uh, Jesus is preaching to here, uh, the idea is that Jesus was basically still busy preaching uh, even while he was in the grave on that day between the cross and the resurrection. Okay, view number two uh, says that this is a view held by Calvin, uh, that, that Jesus didn't go to hell or Hades or the place of the dead. Um, he says that the proclamation of victory is to believers and non-believers, just as Noah and his family were saved, even though the unbelievers weren't. Um, most notably about this, he Calvin actually argues that prison is better interpreted watch or watchtower, meaning Jesus preached to those who were watching him on the cross, not to some spirits held up in prison with the possibility of of release. Right, which would be kind of the, the anti-Catholic Calvin, not wanting to play with purgatory or any any kind of idea like that. Yeah, so. but it could also be, I mean, I don't know, it, it could be also Calvin, I mean, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in yeah. paradise. Yeah. You know, not today you're going to be with me as I'm going down into <laughs> the dead to preach yeah, the true. gospel to these people. So anyway. So uh, view number three. Uh, Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox view. So um, though these two groups kind of differ in, in many ways, obviously, Catholic and, and Orthodox, um, they both agree uh, with the idea that Jesus is preaching to the spirits in prison it has nothing to do with him preaching uh, salvation or victory to Old Testament saints who were uh, confined to some sort of hell or purgatory. Uh, this is the idea that Calvin wanted to reject, like I said, I think, uh, although Trevin now disagrees with me there. So, um, that, no, that I think you're right about that. I that just was saying he might have other reasons. Okay. Um, that there were dead souls out there. Um, he, he doesn't want, he doesn't want to say that, but they're saying that there's some sort of purgatory, some sort of idea here, uh, that, that Jesus is preaching to these people who still need to hear the gospel and be saved in some sort of way. Okay. A fourth view, uh, is one that has gained some pretty strong traction again over the years through, uh, the work primarily of Wayne Grudem. Uh, although it's interesting, Augustine believed at least a, a, a form of this view. Uh, th- this idea is that Peter is referring to the pre-incarnate Jesus preaching to the unbelievers of Noah's day through Noah. Uh, they they didn't repent. Now their spirits in prison, basically. So, yeah, and this has gained a lot of traction in evangelical circles for sure. Okay, so, so here those are our four major views. Again, there are others, but Matt, there's a lot more we could say. Other views we could flesh out. Can you give us a big picture overview about how you view this passage? Right. So this is uh, probably one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult passage in the New Testament. Uh, if you add to that First Peter 4, 6, it gets even more muddy. Uh, so, you know, the things that I'm about to say about this passage are tentative. And I think that <laughs> however we approach this passage, it, it needs to be, I, I think, fairly tentative in, in what we say about it. Uh, so R.T. France, in an essay a while back, in a I Howard Marshall edited volume, identified five issues about this passage. And I, I won't bore you by rehearsing them. You can go look up that up in his article. But the, the real crux of the passage is on the preposition in verse 19, the prepositional phrase in verse 19. And in Greek, it's in ho. And uh, in, in the CSB, it translates that <clears throat> as uh, during which time um, or in which. Uh, so the issue is what exactly, what exactly does it mean that Christ went and preached in the spirit uh, to the spirits in prison? Um, and so in verse 19, when it starts off in which, there's a lot of different ways to say, uh, to translate that. 
Grudem, as you mentioned, says that it's sort of a temporary time warp kind of idea where it's 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 a reflecting back. And this is Augustine, too, uh, where it's reflecting back on the time of Noah. Uh, Jesus went and preached in the spirit to uh, the, the people in Noah's day. I think my personal view on this is that the more natural way to read the passage is that it's referring to the events of Christ's death and resurrection. And that when it talks about preaching to spirits in prison, that phrase as well is also very specific. And spirits in prison reminds us of Second Peter 2, where you have um, demons, evil angels, etc., and possibly the Nephilim, as you guys mentioned a minute ago, in Tartarus, in, in prison until the day of judgment. And so very simply, if we take the the preposition there in which as referring to the events between Jesus's death and resurrection. And if we take the spirits in prison as referring to evil angels or something like this, they're basically saying that Jesus, when he experienced human death, went to the place of the dead and proclaimed his victory over all things to the dead and including to those in prison, namely the evil angels. That's, I mean, that's about as simple as, as I can get on uh, what I think that passage means. There's lots and lots of exegetical issues going on there, but Jesus went in his human spirit and proclaimed victory. Okay, so so some follow-up questions here just to kind of help us work through this a little bit. There's this idea of uh, the place of the dead here, right? And then you've got spirits in prison. You've got, um, obviously, this, this starts to bring up ideas of potentially hell or Hades, right? So you have people who say mm-hmm. Jesus went and like went and, you know, knocked on the door of hell or kicked the door open in hell and told everybody, hey, by the way, you just lost, right? So what do we do with the differences in Scripture where you see this kind of place of the dead idea? Um, Is it more figural as though like he experienced death uh, the same way that we do or the same way people did before? Uh, Would would we say that in some sense he did do some sort of um, going into hell and preaching this to the demons in some way, either literally or figuratively. How do we parse some of that out in this passage and, and otherwise? Yeah, so the easiest passage, I think, to give us an example here would be Luke 16, yeah. where Jesus uh, tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus uh, is poor. He begs for money and food every day from the rich man, uh, but the rich man never gives anything to him. They both die. Lazarus ends up in Abraham's bosom, which is a synonym for paradise, which is a synonym in the Second Temple period for the righteous compartment of the dead. And the rich man ends up in Hades, uh, the, the torment portion of the place of the dead. And while they're both separated and Jesus makes clear and also Lazarus makes clear that you can't cross that chasm between them, there's also a sense in which they're in the same place, which is the place of the dead. They can communicate with one another. And this is, this was the view of where the dead went in the ancient world, not just in Judaism, uh, but in other cultures as well, that the dead all went to the same place. And at least in Judaism and second temple Judaism, there was a differentiation between going to the place of the dead in the righteous portion and going to the place of the dead and for the unrighteous portion. And so, you know, if the spirits in prison in first Peter three are interpreted as evil spirits in between his death and resurrection, where he's proclaiming to them his victory in his spirit, it doesn't mean that he is in torment at that moment. That, that that's not compatible with how 
second temple Judaism thought about the place of the dead. Uh, the righteous would have been in the righteous compartment, and he would have basically been shouting across the, ga- the chasm, hey, guys, I won. Uh, it's, you know, the, the ancient church uh, and those who follow that interpretation of First Peter 3 today don't think it's a sort of second chance either. So we want to you know, go ahead and say that at the outset, that this isn't a second chance proclamation that people can respond in hell and be saved in between Jesus' death and resurrection. That's not what anybody believed about the passage either. Uh, that's not what I believe the passage says. So when we say that Jesus proclaimed or preached, the verb there is keruso. Uh, it's not euangelizo. It, it's proclaim, not sort of gospelize. Hmm. It just means that he's saying, hey, I win. So what's up? It, <laughs> so okay. So two two questions follow up from that because I mean this is one of those passages I I don't have. I, you talk about tentative. I, I I really have had a difficult time with this. This is the kind of passage where I don't have a firm opinion until I'm doing an expositional series and I wind up getting to it and have to preach it, and I have right. to I have to have a, a a view. So it's been one of those that's. I've known about for a long time and have seen, but I haven't had a strong uh, opinion on. Two two questions about that. First, uh, does that contradict Jesus saying he would be with the thief in paradise right after uh, talking about the same day? Uh, mm-hmm. Or is he preaching uh, across the chasm? I mean, that's one question. Second question would be, um, what does the Apostles' Creed have to do with this? You've got the traditional sure. rendering in English, he descended into hell. Uh, that has, that, that's more recently, more contemporary renderings of the Apostles' Creed says he descended to the dead. Uh, mm-hmm. it, d- does it have anything to do with this in your view or not? Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, so on your first question regarding the thief on the cross, and today I'll be with you in paradise. In Jesus's day, Paradise meant the righteous compartment of the dead. So for Jesus to say, you're going to be with me in paradise, that means you're coming with me, which is where Jesus is going in his human soul, to the righteous place of the dead, which is, which is equivalent, synonymous, same thing as uh, Abraham's bosom in Luke 16. Right. And, and so, you know, what we want to say, first of all, is that when in Matthew 12 that you guys mentioned earlier, sign of Jonah, I'm going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, which is a very clear reference. If you go look up the background literature to the place of the dead, if you go look at Ephesians 4, 9 and 10, not to throw some more wrenches in this, but uh, in the intertextuality in the Old Testament with Psalm 68, if you look at Revelation 118 and going to get the keys from death and Hades, there are all kinds of references in the New Testament, Romans 10, 6 and 7. Uh, to to Jesus descending to the place of the dead. And so we want to be very clear that in Second Temple Judaism and in the New Testament, of course, which is, you know, uh, has this background as Second Temple Judaism, that for righteous persons, including Jesus, when they go to the place of the dead, it would have been very clearly to a righteous compartment of the place of the dead. Okay, so that's the first thing to say is that, you know, the New Testament very basically affirms that Jesus in his human person or in his human nature, I guess I should be Christologically correct here in his human nature, Jesus body and soul experiences human death as any human does. His body goes to the grave. His soul goes to the place of the dead and it's the place of the righteous dead because he's righteous. So that's, I mean, that, that's a basic affirmation and, you know, we should sort of pause there and let everybody sort of, <laughs> I think we should probably pause and say, all right, 
that's enough to wrap our heads around for a minute. Yeah. Um, where first Peter three comes in is okay. What was he doing down there? Because, and this is why, uh, first Peter three in the first century of the church was not instrumental in developing a theology of the descent. There, there is no known citation of first Peter three, uh, for, uh, from the beginning of the post-apostolic period until 200 AD, when Cyril of Alexandria cites it, where 1 Peter 3 is used to support a theology of the descent to the dead. So, so Everybody, the descent of the dead came from other passages, yep, not it from came, this one. Yep, exactly. It came from Matthew 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 10, Revelation 118. And so when we come to 1 Peter 3, it's not—the the, the, the descent doctrine doesn't stand or fall— on First Peter three, I mean, really, no doctrine stands or falls on, falls on one text necessarily. I mean, there may be a few, but um, and, and so when we come to First Peter three, we're asking the question: Okay, if this is about the descent, what was he doing down there? And in my view, because I think that prepositional phrase there at the beginning of verse nineteen indicates that this is between his death and resurrection in his human soul. Uh, I think that what it's affirming is very simply that he proclaimed, he russoed, uh, his his victory. Uh, the the verb there again. I mean, this this are all salient points to what he's doing. He's he's proclaiming. He's not evangelizing. Hmm. There's a difference between the verbs. Um, and when we look at Luke 16 and other passages, as well as the Second Temple background, it's it's possible for us to speak about the dead all being in one place so that Jesus could proclaim his victory to everybody, righteous and unrighteous, but also still stop short of saying he was with the unrighteous because he wasn't. That wouldn't have been what would be affirmed in, in the New Testament or in Second Temple Judaism. He was in the righteous compartment, like in Luke 16. Lazarus is talking back and forth with the rich man. They're clearly both in the place of the dead, but they're also clearly in two different places within the place of the dead. Uh, and so Jesus is kind of shouting across saying, what's up? You know, I win. There you go. I love thinking of Jesus just yelling what's up at people. I'm sure there's a Greek uh, correspondence there. There is. <laughs> um, so uh, we like to end the, end the podcast um, kind of saying, how would we preach or teach this passage? So you're a pastor, you're a Sunday school leader, you're a parent, maybe walking through this with, with your child even. Um, you know, how do you, how do you kind of simplify this to a point to say, okay, here's the truth behind this passage. Here's, uh, how you'd apply it to somebody else in your teaching. How would you, um, briefly, how would you do that? Yeah. In, in Peter's day, when he's writing this letter, it's very clear that his churches are experiencing some kind of persecution. And so the affirmation that Jesus has conquered all things by his death and resurrection and that the principalities and powers and evil spirits in prison know that he's won is, is I think, and I hope a great comfort to those who are suffering right now. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, Jesus knows what's up and he's told the powers what's up. <laughs> and, you know, we need to live, we need to live in that truth, even in the midst of, uh, even in the midst of us lamenting the fact that Christ has not come again yet and has not, restored and redeemed all of creation in its finality he's won and he's he's proclaimed his victory everybody knows he's won everybody not just those on the earth and not just those in heaven but all those under the earth as well and so i think that's a great comfort to those who are suffering right now to know that 
I mean, this is the point of revelation, right? Stand firm because Jesus is one. Same point in First Peter 3, I think. Yeah, that's really good, man. Well, thanks so much, Matt, for hopping on with us and helping us work through this uh, tough text. We appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And Trevin, thanks as always for co-hosting. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages, but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.